When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. This week, we have a special recap of week one of college football. We have some exciting games to go off the year and plenty to talk about. To finish, we'll get into the spirit of Labor Day by wrapping up with a special word on the late, great Kurt Flood and all he did for the athletes we enjoy watching today. But first, let's start with some gold stars and detentions. First gold star goes to Mackenzie Milton. Okay, so for those new to the name, Mackenzie Milton was a quarterback at UCF. In November of 2018, on a run against South Florida, Milton suffered a gruesome knee injury. After being rushed to the hospital, the doctor realized he had extensive artery and nerve damage and had several surgeries to recover. He later had to have reconstructive surgery for the dislocated kneecap, the injury that originally landed him in the hospital. And we recently found out that he woke up in July of 2019 in extreme pain and had to go back in for a pair of emergency surgeries to keep the surgically repaired tissue and limb attached to his body. Apparently it was in bad shape. After all of that and being cleared, he decided to transfer to Florida State for a fresh start. He wanted to let the program at UCF continue to function as it had been without him. Over the weekend, Milton stepped in for FSU against Notre Dame and led the Seminoles to a touchdown as they forced overtime against the Irish. Florida State lost by a field goal in set overtime, but man, it was great to see a young man out playing well. I'm super happy for him. So gold star to him, to FSU, and to Dreamfield, the NFT company that he and Miami quarterback Derek King co-founded. I think we have an idea of what their next graphic will be. First detention of the week has to go to whatever went on in the Argentina versus Brazil soccer game. For the uninitiated, the game was halted just minutes after kickoff when a Brazilian health official ran onto the field and stopped action. Argentina, the official claimed, was playing with players who had not abided by Brazilian COVID protocols. Apparently, Brazil forces people entering the country 
from the UK to quarantine for 14 days before navigating South America's largest country. Four players for Argentina apparently had just come off of playing for their English Premier League clubs days prior, and so clearly they had been in the UK, even if they lied on paperwork or whatever, they'd been on, in the UK in the days prior. I'm not really sure where the detention goes here. If Argentina knew this ahead of time, and they did forge paperwork and stuff like that, then they get the detention for breaking those rules. That's pretty obvious. But if they didn't, it kind of feels like Brazil gets the detention here for waiting until after the match started and not notifying the team and players and not being more diligent in their quarantine laws. Uh, it is somewhat ironic to hear about Brazil just now caring about COVID quarantine laws and things like that, but that's not for this podcast. The players went out to warm up and they had started the game. They were out there at kickoff. It feels like someone probably should have alerted them earlier. This is very, very hazy, but something did go wrong here, and it feels like there's a detention for someone in there somewhere. Second detention this week heads to Brian Kelly. We talked about Florida State side of the Florida State-Notre Dame game earlier. After a close win, uh, Brian Kelly gets away with what will be called poor wording. In the post-game press conversation with people on the field, Kelly made a comment about execution, both on the field and of his team. Yes, you heard that right. Brian Kelly, who actually did have a student die at his practice about a decade ago, made a joke about executing players after a close win that probably should not have been so close. And I just can't really think of an excuse for that, even if it was a bungled version of some old saying, that ain't it. Have fun in detention, Brian. Okay, so this week, we solicited some NCAA football topics and theses to grade after an exciting week one. We had a lot submitted, so many that we had to turn down several, uh, just because there were just so many for one show. And thank you all for listening and for submitting them. It really, really helps make for a fun show to get some interaction with the fans like that. We undoubtedly have to do this again, and please continue to submit them when we do this again. And we'll try not to miss the same people twice, I promise. After we hit about a half dozen of these, we do have a quick audio essay on Kurt Flood in honor of Labor Day. And if you don't know that name yet, you probably should. So let's dive right in. Some of these theses are not word for word necessarily what was submitted, but they were they were transcribing questions from fans into theses. So the first one is one just like that. The first thesis reads, UCLA is a threat to Oregon's throne in the Pac-12. After opening weekend, and we'll call that the entirety of my film study, we're going to give that one an A-. minus. All right, so we gave UCLA being a threat to Oregon's throne an A- minus because UCLA did look very good in their win, opening win over LSU, their third win over a ranked team under Chip Kelly. After a slow start to the game, UCLA scored twice in each quarter the rest of the way in a decisive win. They established the run, they utilized play action, and they really put together a great performance on tape. Uh, we'll talk more about this game in particular later, but if we're looking at Oregon, part of this thesis is on the health of Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Thibs left the Oregon game against Fresno State early, and if he were to still be out in late October, I don't think he will be, but if he were to be not 100% or something like that in the game in late October, that could really impact the game because I saw Fresno State have a lot of success after Kayvon Thibodeau went out. His pass rush clearly impacted the passing game because of how much longer Fresno State had to get the ball downfield and how much more open those receivers were. If Thibodeau is rushing the passer, those kinds of plays can't happen. I don't know if that necessarily means the same thing for UCLA and the way they orchestrate their offense, 
But man, it cer certainly seemed the case for Fresno State. So with that being a question mark and UCLA looking fairly good, I am going to give this an A minus and sit on that. Second thesis, again, if some of these are being changed from questions into theses, is Georgia's offense, or lack thereof, will prevent them from winning the championship. I'm going to sit at like a C- minus on this one. Their offense looked pretty poor over the weekend, but that's not the biggest issue for them. All right, so I gave this thesis a C-. minus. Bluntly, the issue with this thesis is that it's not the offense that's keeping them from winning a title. It's Alabama. Georgia won't see Alabama until the SEC title game. At that point, there will likely be a handful of conference champions lined up eager to make it to the college football playoffs. I anticipate Alabama holds on to their number one spot. We'll talk more about that later. And Georgia, if they're also undefeated, is somewhere in the top five or six. Assuming Georgia loses to Alabama, and even if it is this close loss to a top-tier team in the SEC title game, I have a hard time imagining Georgia losing that late and staying in the top four. The SEC East isn't what it was a couple years ago. Their cross-division games aren't the Alabamas and A&Ms or the other impressive wins they need to overcome a late last season loss. And frankly, it's going to be a long time between this Clemson game and the end-of-season period where they need a big win. This isn't me just saying what I want, though, although I have been on the record in the past as saying I don't like the idea of conference championship games not being a de facto play into the college football playoff. But even logically, if there are a pair of undefeated Power 5 champions, an undefeated Alabama that just beat Georgia, and some one-loss team with a conference championship win, the timing of all of that is what's going to hurt Georgia the most, not their offense. Not that their offense might not be the reason they lose to Alabama, and that's an interesting way to take this thesis. It did pass. I just don't think that that's the only thing. I think they could have a good or mediocre or average offense and still have trouble in that Alabama game because of Alabama's defense and Alabama's own offense. And I just know that they have enough you know, pizzazz on their schedule the rest of the way with what I see as a loss happening at the end of the season. The next thesis kind of ties into the same idea. The thesis reads, Georgia should be number two, I'm assuming in the AP poll. And for that, I do give it an A at this point in the season. All right, so I gave this thesis an A after pooping on Georgia the entire thesis before it. So let's break it down a little bit. Of the top five or six teams, they're the only one to have also beaten a top five or six team. While you could argue that Alabama's dominance was more impressive against Miami, they're already the number one seed and can't really move up. They're, they're just stuck there. There's nothing above one. <laughs> and so Georgia's the next logical team to make some sort of a leap. Now, it feels like whatever you think of Georgia currently, they have to be moving up to two because none of the other teams in that area did anything similarly impressive. If anything, current number two, Oklahoma, had a scare against Tulane, right? And after moving up into the top two or three, Georgia will probably sit there a long time, as in all the way up until they end up playing Alabama at the end of the year. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? <laughs> 
Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out the beard struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, the beard struggle's got all the products that you need. The beard struggle, feast your face. This thesis came a little later, and so it's not quite as connected with an earlier thesis, but it is somewhat connected. This thesis is entirely about LSU, and it says it is time for Coach O to get the boot at LSU. And I actually give that thesis an A. All right, so this thesis gets an A. It is time for Coach O to get the boot. Maybe not the Louisiana-sized boot, but it is time for him to go. After a loss to UCLA, this feels like a common sentiment on Twitter. The 2019 National Championship caliber head coach has already outstayed his welcome in the Bayou. But what I find more unfortunate about this is that it comes up after the UCLA loss. On the field, if you were to write off 2020 as a weird COVID pandemic year with all the unprecedented problems and challenges that it you know, gave to every single program, his championship run really wasn't that long ago. It was just 2019. Sure, he's lost Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady, but did a national championship not buy him a longer on-the-field rope? In his five years at LSU, he had four winning records and an SEC and national championship season. But what should have put the nail in the coffin at Ed Orgeron was not his 2020 season and not his opener of the 2021 season. Not, it's not his recruiting or the lack thereof recruiting, but in the spring of 2021, an investigation in an on-campus sexual assault committed by a player for LSU, it was revealed the player came to Orgeron and Coach O didn't report it. That's the moment Shin McCann, right there. Full stop. All this other stuff is just gravy. I, I just don't understand why it's coming up after the loss to UCLA and not before the season started. Actually, I want to take that back. I do understand why. I'm just disappointed as to why. All right. So our next thesis or topic or idea, or I'm not sure how to handle this one, is not really something that can be graded, but I was asked for a reaction to UCLA and LSU, and as we've just talked about LSU, and as we opened with talking about this UCLA, it feels like a great time to dive in on that. In some ways, UCLA really did look like Chip Kelly's Oregon Lights. Uh, they utilized some of the inside zone schemes, the same modern buck sweep that he was running at Oregon, and passes that are not in the air for very long, but do lead to big gains in yards after catch, right? The short dink and dunks that the ball's in the air for four or five yards turn into 20 yards because of the space he's creating. My reaction to UCLA is more about wanting to find ways to watch them. Uh, the Pac-12 has been down for several years, 
and this is kind of a coming out party for Kelly and UCLA, and it could be a lot of fun to watch unfold. We're still learning about USC and Stanford and where the, they kind of are in the conference right now. The country kind of expects Oregon to win the conference, but throwing a good UCLA team in the mix here is fun. They use space well. They find pockets underneath in the pass and run games that they've got players that have wiggle, and some of those wiggles just happen to wiggle just right and burst into the secondary, and they're just a lot of fun. Chip Kelly's offenses are a lot of fun to watch, and I want to watch them more. On the flip side, I had very little interest coming into the season when it comes to watching LSU. This game only really confirmed that there will be big plays made when you see them play Alabama or when you see them play A&M or whatever, but they're looking to be at best third or fourth in the SEC West, and that's just the way they are this year. The next thesis is about, again, another team in the SEC West. We've talked about a little bit, but the thesis reads, Alabama will lose a regular season game. That I'm giving a D. All right, so I gave this one a D because, honestly, there are a lot of teams hoping that they get their one-game sample and something just goes wrong with Alabama, but the Crimson Tide looked utterly dominant in Week 1. Unlike the neutral site game in Miami, Alabama's toughest contests remaining are two true road games. Alabama has to go to Florida and to Texas A&M. Now, a week ago, before they played any games, Florida looked much better than they did after a meh performance against FAU. Florida gets another tune-up against South Florida next week, but they may not be ready for Alabama even at home because against Miami, Alabama already looked ready for conference play in Florida. The Aggies, they're a different story. They're also a top 10 team, and College Station is routinely one of the toughest places to play every year. A&M kept the ball on the ground a lot in their route of Kent State, and if that's the order of operations for the Aggies, they might really have a shot. When Texas A&M is running the ball effectively, it will keep another explosive Alabama offense off of the field. The issue will be if they can really run the ball effectively against an Alabama defense with guys like Fidarian Mathis and Christian Harris also in the box. I mean, that's just kind of going to be a test of wills there. Which team wins that battle could very much decide the game. Georgia, who would meet Alabama in the SEC title game, is kind of the opposite of Texas A&M. Their defense appears to be stout, but frankly, Alabama's defense may be able to score against the Georgia offense. I mean, that, that may be the kind of game where Alabama doesn't look great, but still wins decisively. And I'm, I said earlier, I'm not betting on Georgia in that game. If I were a gambler, I'd bet on Alabama being undefeated again going into the college football playoff. I just don't see the teams on their schedule unless the Aggies work some Johnny Manziel-esque magic that are going to beat Alabama. Heading north now to the Big Ten, the thesis reads, Michigan is for real. I'm giving that like a C. All right, I gave this thesis a C, and it's really, really short. Michigan did beat Western Michigan very badly, and frankly, in a way that the old, good Michigan teams might have. My only issue I'd have with Michigan being real, and the reason it's a C and not an A or anything like that, is that they beat Western Michigan because they looked so much faster than Western Michigan. I have to see how that speed gap shrinks as they're playing a conference opponent. I can't quite translate having a giant speed gap versus Western Michigan to when they play a team like Penn State, Illinois, Ohio State, right? Any of these other Big Ten teams, Wisconsin, right? Whomever, 
that gap is going to shrink and I don't really have any idea of how much it will shrink as they get there. Could I see it being still in Michigan's favor after that? Against some of those teams, absolutely. Against the Penn State team we saw over the weekend or Ohio State we saw come back in a testy game on Friday night? I don't know. Our final college football thesis also sits in the Big Ten, although it was submitted as the B1G, which I love. Thank you for that, Ryan McCarthy. Um, The thesis reads, Penn State has the best defense in the B1G, the Big Ten. I have to say, and I, while I was watching games for the weekend, I caught a lot of them live and went back and rewatched the 25-minute type of replays of the game on some of them afterwards, the kind of where they cut out all the in-between plays and all the, all those kinds of things. This Penn State-Wisconsin game is one of the most fun games of the weekend. The Penn State defense looked incredible, kept Wisconsin out of the end zone twice down the stretch to win the game. It was early, but the Penn State defense looked like the toughest defense in the Big Ten of any of the schools we saw, maybe except for Wisconsin, which is on the other side of the field from them. They played well, they forced turnovers, three downs, and controlled the Wisconsin running game that has frankly always been a staple in Madison. Hats off to Penn State. They certainly look like one of the Big Ten's best defenses, and frankly, they're the kind of team that could have a fun Saturday night game later on in the season. Keep watching Penn State and keep watching that defense. All right, so we're about to dive into our audio essay on Kurt Flood. If that's not really your jam, go ahead and keep on scooting on down the line to the next segment. However, I encourage you all to listen to a baseball player you might not have heard of that changed all of pro sports for the better decades ago. Here's a bit on Kurt Flood. Labor Day is a day meant to honor Americans who pushed so hard for workers' rights across the country. While Oregon first celebrated the holiday in the 1880s, the first federal recognition of Labor Day was in 1894. The unofficial end of summer was not just a long weekend early in the school year. It's a chance to look back at leaders who represented the every person. America is built on the hard worker generations, and Labor Day is their day. In sports, as difficult as it can be to understand, the laborers are the athletes we all learn to love and cheer for. In 2021, even if players have more autonomy than ever before, they're still drafted to places they don't get to choose. In America, they frequently have caps on their salaries. They can get cut at any moment, and they have to collectively bargain for every inch of contractual flexibility they get. In the 1960s, the constraints on athletes as workers were even tighter. Major League Baseball, as well as the NBA, NFL, and others, operated under what is called the Reserve Clause. When under the Reserve Clause, players weren't allowed to enter, quote, free agency when their contract ended. Unless the team traded their contract or gave them an an unconditional release, the only option for players was to re-sign with the same club or retire. In 1969, three-time All-Star and two-time World Series champ Kurt Flood was traded from St. Louis to Philadelphia just before his contract ran out. Thus, Flood was stuck. As a player under the, the reserve clause, he had to retire or play for an uncon- or pray for an unconditional release from Philadelphia, which wasn't likely given how much they had just traded to get him. Even though Flood's contract was expiring, he is going to be forced to play in Philadelphia. It needs to be noted that Flood never expressed disinterest in the Phillies. Publicly and privately, Flood's issues with the franchise were more about Philadelphia as a city. 
Philadelphia was notoriously brutal to black baseball players in the 1960s and were especially awful to Flood's childhood idol, Jackie Robinson, a decade prior. Flood felt like he was about to be sent to a racist hellhole, not unlike some of the minor league parks he had been forced to play in across the South as a minor league prospect. Flood sued Major League Baseball and Commissioner Bowie Kuhn in an antitrust case arguing that he should have the option to explore free agency. The reserve clause, Flood's legal team argued, was in violation of his right to work for whomever sought his talents. Flood wasn't just fighting for himself. On rosters of 40 players, teams could have up to 35 players under their reserve clause. Reserve clauses were put in rookies' contracts upon being drafted, immediately locking them into the franchise for potentially their entire career. What's lost in history is Flood actually lost the Supreme Court case 5-3. to three. Yes, 5-3 to three because Justice Lewis Powell had to remove himself. He was a partial owner of Anheuser-Busch, the company that owned the St. Louis Cardinals. After two years of legal woes, including voluntarily sitting out more than a year, Flood was eventually traded to the Washington Senators, and after much time off, Flood retired early in the year. His fight off the field took him away from the game, and he couldn't get his swing back. Just a couple years after Flood's retirement, pitchers Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally argued essentially the same thing against a different club in court. The 1975 Sites decision ruled in favor of the players, ending the reserve clause for good. Perhaps it was a difference in who presented the case. Messersmith and McNally are both white. Perhaps it was the threat of the lawsuit every time a major free agent wanted out, but baseball finally changed for good. Before 1980, every professional sports team would follow suit. Baseball also instituted the Kurt Flood 10-5 rule, in which a player with five consecutive seasons for the same club and 10 or more years in the MLB must give his consent before being traded. This clause would have kept him from being traded to Philadelphia in the first place. Flood expedited the end of his own career for the betterment of others. He received death threats and racist hate mail from fans arguing he was ruining baseball. He went from all-star center fielder to bar owner and amateur painter. But he changed professional sports and started a conversation that humanized the players we root for. When we go to a game or flip on our favorite team on TV, we root for players. Sure, they have the right uniform on, but underneath that uniform is a human being working for our entertainment. Do they have a really, really cool job? Absolutely. But athletes like Flood remind us, sometimes that really cool job is still very much a job. Work is still work. Workers are still workers. And so as we enjoy a day off and a long weekend full of college football, remember the workers who push for each right we enjoy. Friends, that was another edition of FN Sports. Special shout out to the Unbiased Truth at Unbiased True One on Twitter, Hoodie Trill at NBF underscore Trill, Pale Blue Dot at Dot 14 Blue, Sports Bliss with Robin Chris at Sports Bliss wit w-i-t-1 ovo eric at eric lions tv ryan mccarthy at who is ryan mcc and price per head hq which is at price per head hq for your suggestions on what to break down for the opening weekend of college football sounds like we all took a great long weekend before getting back to school filled with college football if you're missing hoops talk you're in luck wednesday nights at nine o'clock eastern belly up sports hosts the Midweek Midrange on Twitter and YouTube. The Midweek Midrange is an all-basketball, all-the-time show where we break down the latest off-season stories, rumors, and more. Be sure to pull up to the Midweek Midrange on Instagram and Twitter at Midweek Midrange and tune in on Wednesdays for all your basketball content and needs. 
As for my personal stuff, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. I'll be posting the stuff I'm writing, the shows I'm in, other general nonsense like L's on sneakers, struggles in fantasy football, and more. That's Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. This show is also on social media. You can follow us at FNSports2 on Twitter. We'll be posting goodies about the show as well as shout-outs to all our friends fairly regularly. We'll also routinely do shows like this where we pose questions and ask people to submit their theses or things they want answered. If Instagram is more your jam, we're also on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. Be sure to follow both of the be sure to follow both of those accounts for the latest on the show every day. While you're at it, be sure to download, like, subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review for the show wherever you get your podcast to help us out. And whatever you do, please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone.